Testing. Hello, this is Bruce. I'm testing the mic and seeing how it goes. How's the sound? Sounds all right. Is it high, low enough? Good. All right. <laughs> Please rise for the reading of God's word. This is a reading from the book of...
to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. look to you I won't be overwhelmed give me vision to see things like you do God I look to you you're where my help comes from give me wisdom you know just what to do I will love you Lord strength I will love you Lord my shield I will love you Lord my rock forever all my days I will love you God good morning everyone and welcome to Liberty Church Northeast whether you're visiting or coming for a while or like us or not, we're thankful that you're here. Today is a special day. Many of you are thinking Memorial Day, but no. Today is the day of Pentecost. We'll hear about that one later. Please rise for our call to worship, taken from Psalm 104, verses 31 through 34. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, on this day, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and every nation. Pour out this gift anew that by the preaching of the gospel, your salvation may reach the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let's tell my look to you. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed Give me vision To see things like you do God, I look to you You're where my help comes from Give me wisdom You know just what to do I will love I will love you, Lord I will love you, Lord, my shield. Yes, I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, God. Yes, hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah. 
our God reigns. Yes, hallelujah, our God reigns forever all my days. confess bowing here I find my rest without you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart let's tell him Lord I need you Lord I need you oh I us that desire to need you, Lord. We can't do it on our own strength, Lord. We've tried to do it on our own strength, Lord, but we can't, Lord. We acknowledge 
that your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. Just as Paul cried out to you, and my grace is sufficient, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would give us a heart of worship, Lord, not of ourselves or our family or our job or our, our control, Lord, but Lord, truly worshiping you, Jesus, for everything that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you, God, that you meet us exactly where we're at, wherever we're at this morning, Lord. You meet us there, and you give us that fullness and that joy, Lord. We'll sing, what is our hope? What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence, that our souls to Him belong, what holds our days within His hand, what comes apart from His command, and what will keep us to the end. The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing, oh, sing. Oh, sing. Hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing. Hallelujah. Now and ever we confess. Christ our hope and life and death. Truth can come the troubled soul. God is good, God is good, where is grace and goodness known in our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy child, who sends the waves that bring to the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess. Christ, our hope and life and the grave what shall we sing Christ he lives Christ he lives and what reward will heaven bring everlasting life with him then we will rise to meet the Lord then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy Christ is ours forevermore Oh, sing Hallelujah Our hope springs eternal Oh, sing Hallelujah Now and ever we confess Christ our hope and life and death Christ, our hope in life and in death.
of my heart Be the mountain where I run The fountain I drink from Oh, he is my song Let the king of my heart Be the shadow where I hide The ransom for my life Oh, he is my song You are good, you're good You're good, Lord. You are good. You're good, Lord. You are good. You're good, Lord. Sing the King of my heart. Let the King of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves. Oh, He is my song that the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song you are good you're good oh you are good you're good oh you are good you're good gonna let, you're never gonna let me down, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down, one more time, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down, you are, you are good. You're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, sing a tune. fountain God we know that your fountain never runs dry Lord when we're feeling dry and empty and barren Lord you come and you fill Lord I pray that you would do that this morning Lord help us Jesus to not leave here unchanged Lord we want to see our minds and our hearts renewed Lord renewed by your word so we praise you this morning Jesus we thank you in your name amen you guys can take a seat and next up we are gonna send off the younglings uh, the little the little kitties 
Uh, so if you are in kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, my wife, Serlin, is in the back, and my daughter, Ava. Yeah. So if you're in kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, would you guys stand up, and we're going to do a blessing as you head off to your class and learn all about the Lord. So let's pray this. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, who took little children into your arms and blessed them, bless the children of this family that they may grow up in godly fear and love. Give me Give them your strength and guidance day by day that they may continue in your love and service to their lives and grant this, O blessed Savior, for your own name's sake. Amen. All right, kindergarten through fifth grade. Go have fun. Not too much fun. Make good decisions. Uh, So my name is Zach, and I am an elder here. I'm also a worship director um, and husband to Serlin. Uh, that's, the, that's the main role there. Uh, but if you're a visitor with us, we uh, just want to welcome you, whether you are, you know, from out of town or local, wherever you're at, basically, um, whether you're like a church person or a churchgoer or not, we just want to welcome everyone to Liberty Northeast. We're excited about what the Lord's going to do this morning. Uh, there are like Let's Connect cards in front of you in the pew somewhere. Uh, find them if you're new here and fill it out. We would love to get to know you some more in a non-creepy way. Um, and just reach out and as a church and just uh, be, be a part of our family here. So um, we have a number of things going on, though, at our church. Uh, the first thing is really cool. Kyle, uh, one of our pastors here, and Laura had their baby. Woo woo. You guys can shout out there. Uh, everything's great. Kyle texted us that the baby is uh, doing phenomenal. Bryn, I believe is the name. So there we go. Getting some nods. There we go. Got that right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're just excited to welcome uh, another the baby into our, into our church family. Another part of our uh, announcements here is our Ordo calendar. Today is the day of Pentecost, right? So that's why the altar is dressed in red to symbolize the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the reason that the church calendar celebrates that is because it's the birthday of the church. Look at that. Um, and so this date was originally celebrated by the Israelites commemorating God giving Israel the Ten Commandments and the law. That was in Exodus, obviously. And then in Acts 2, we learned that on the same day, Jesus' promise to give the Holy Spirit was fulfilled when the Holy Spirit came down, right, and filled, filled the room, right, in great tongues of fire to anoint the apostles and to found the church. The preaching of the apostles could be heard in multiple languages, and if you remember from the story, 3,000 souls were saved, all right? So that's why we celebrate the day of, the day of Pentecost today. Happy birthday, church. We're glad, we're glad the church exists, right? Um, the next announcement is we have a little bit of a uh, location change in terms of where we hang out after the service. So if you're familiar with this hallway, we typically hang out like in that room and then you'll see me and other worship band members like run into you with these mic stands or we'll knock you out with like something or my son Judah will like, you know, come for your ACL with some music stand, you know, so to like reduce the traffic flow like right out here. We're going to have, uh, starting around Father's Day, June 18th, which is like weirdly close uh, in the schedule, starting June 18th, we're going to transition our fellowship and coffee area to the room at the end of the hallway. It's to the left of that kitchen, all right? So if you're visualizing that right now, it's just down the hallway. We're going to have some signages. Um, There's going to be like me and other elders and leaders like kindly yell at you like, go that way. You know, that way Third Reform can get their way in and we can get out of their way. So we kind of have two options, right? You can either like fellowship outside, fellowship in that room where the sugar is and the coffee, right? That's where, that's where we got to go. Um, so grab a snack, cup of coffee, enjoy some time together in the coffee room and outside while the weather's nice. 
All right, cool. If you have questions about that, ask Dave. Just always ask Dave. That's, that's the go-to there. <laughs> Dave's like, don't ask me. All right, uh, the next part of our worship service is our offering, right? So another way that we worship is by giving our finances as, as a grateful response to what Jesus has done for us. So as we continue, we're going to keep this passage in mind as we consider giving. So remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive in Acts 20, 35. And there are several ways to give, all on the screen, but I'll mention some here. You can do it online, libertynortheast.org slash give. Uh, the offering boxes are at the back of the hallway there in a black box there on your way out the door. Um, and then you can also do the, uh, I don't really, this doesn't have like check right here, but we used to be able to do that. You could like mail in a check too. That's always fun. All right. Um, so let's pray for our offering. If you guys could bow your heads, close your eyes as we, as we continue. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for everything in heaven and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, O Lord, and of your own we have given you. Amen. So would you guys please stand? We're going to have our scripture reader come up. I'm going to read God's word, so let's have everyone stand up. And there's the mic right there for you. This is a reading from the book of the Psalms, chapter 87, found on page 494 of the Pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. A Psalm of the Sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Selah. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born here, they say, and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there, Selah. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. If you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Tim Geiger. I am rarely here. I do a lot of work behind the scenes, uh, but I am glad to be here today uh, to officiate uh, at communion and also to introduce my friend, uh, Dr. Bruce McDowell, who's going to be bringing the word to us today. Uh, Bruce is someone who is well qualified to preach on Mission Sunday. The, the, the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost. Uh, for many years, he was the head of the international ministry down at 10th Presbyterian Church in Center City, and he is currently the president of Santiago Theological Seminary in Santiago, uh, the Dominican Republic. Uh, and as a matter of fact, he's going to be transitioning there with his family uh, in a few months to uh, live there permanently and be there day to day. So Bruce, it is wonderful to uh, be here uh, in your presence, let me, let me pray for you and for the sermon. Father, we give you thanks that you are good to us. We thank you that you have given us your spirit, and we thank you, Lord, that your spirit writes your word on our hearts and makes it applicable to our particular circumstances and personalities. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would work through Bruce this morning, and I pray that you would give him the grace to communicate your word clearly to us, 
I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would write uh, your word on our hearts, that we would know you better and love you more. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to uh, be here to worship with you and uh, look into God's word. Thank you for this opportunity and the connection through uh, Pastor Tim Geiger to uh, join with you. I'm here with my wife, Anne, and my daughter, Kalia, and uh, we're going to enjoy the afternoon uh, bike riding uh, after this, so praise the Lord for spring. And... All right, look into the word that you just heard read from Psalm 87. In contrast with Islam, in which Allah is transcendent and unknowable, not even knowing his name, and he only indirectly communicates his will only in Arabic. The God of the Bible has his focus on a personal relationship through a covenant with his people that is communicated in everyone's language. That covenantal relationship in the Old Testament is focused on the presence of God in the midst of his people, first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem, to which all the people of God came for worship and offered their sacrifices. There was a central petal drawing of all God's people from all the families of the earth to become part of Zion centralized in Jerusalem. Now, this changes in dramatic ways with the institution of the new covenant upon the arrival of the Messiah, whereby the gospel now goes outwardly to the ends of the earth as we are filled with his presence. Now, let's look at how this psalmist celebrates this new future world, our world city of ransom people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation, as we see in Revelation 5. God uses us to bring into his family people from the ends of the earth. When I went to preach at a small church on the outskirts of Monrovia, Liberia, I saw a couple of adolescent Muslim girls sitting nearby, and I invited them to come into the service, to which they agreed. And as I preached in a dark room packed with people, uh, no electricity, so they had one candle in the room and uh, somebody holding a flashlight for me uh, to read my notes. And uh, so the Spirit of God was moving that evening, and about 16 people responded in faith to the gospel and including these two Muslim girls. God prepared their hearts, drew them in love, and thus they believed. Now let's see how this is the fulfillment of Psalm 87. The title of this psalm attributes it to the sons of Korah, who were descendants of Levi through Kohath. Their assignment was to be the gatekeepers and musicians in the temple. So the psalm was used for singing in worship as with the rest of the psalms. And although not stated, the occasion of writing this psalm may have been when the first temple was built in Jerusalem or for one of the three annual pilgrimages 
um, when they had festivals in which the believers came uh, throughout the Israelite nation, uh, country, and also proselytes would come. That is, foreigners who acknowledged the God of Israel, and they joined in to that temple worship. Now, on the holy mount stands the city he founded, our psalm says. The city is in the hill country of Judea, and praise is given to God for the city he founded in the place where he dwells. The Lord is its true foundation and strength. Zion is a poetic reference to Jerusalem used by the prophets when spiritual significance is attached to the city. It is where God dwells with his people in the temple. It is a metaphor for all the chosen people of God. And when we're told the Lord loves the gates of Zion, although used as a poetic reference to Zion, it is speaking of access to the worshipers into the city and temple to establish or renew their relationship with God, particularly during those three annual festivals. As a psalm of accents states, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now this reminds us of the saying of Jesus, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So now, instead of a physical gate giving access to a magnificent building that represents paradise, we enter through Jesus to true worship. This is explained in the Gospel of John. Jesus came to earth in flesh and dwelt among us. That it that is tabernacled among us, dwelt with us. Later, Jesus claimed, destroy this temple and three days I will raise it up. Then John explains that he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus stated further, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So all the nations enter into worship or true worship through coming to Jesus by faith. Although God loved the other cities in Israel, he chose Jerusalem as a place to have his temple built. In Jerusalem, Mount Moriah was the location where he had sent Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Yet provided a ram instead as a type of of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ would provide to atone for our sins upon the cross. And this is the Temple Mount presently inside of the Dome of the Rock. Jesus, as the center of worship, was under the Old Covenant before Jesus introduced um, the New Covenant. So Jerusalem, as that center, represented the place of sacrifice, where Jesus would go to shed his blood upon the cross for our sins. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, Woman, 
Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now since the resurrected and living Christ is whom we worship... And his body, of which he is the head, is composed of the whole church as living stones in the building. There's no longer need for a physical temple in Jerusalem. We now worship as the gathered people of God by the Holy Spirit, wherever two or three together are together agreeing in Jesus' name. The temple sacrifices and rituals have all been completed in the finished work of Christ at the cross. When Jesus cried out as he died, it is finished. This truth is brought to us as conviction by the work of the Holy Spirit applying the word of Christ to our hearts. Glorious things of you are spoken is a reference to both Jerusalem's past and her future. Since God is glorious and he dwells there among his people. And when the temple was completed, it was filled with gold, brass, jewels, and valuable wood with representations of the Garden of Eden and cherubim. The glory of God filled the temple. The worshipers were in awe and bowed down in reverent fear. God being glorious, he has made his chosen people glorious by bestowing his grace upon them. And his mercy shown in unmerited favor and blessing as promised to the patriarchs is glorious. That favor is so glorious that we have received as unmerited favor. Prophet Isaiah speaks of the word of the Lord of the future glory to come upon Zion. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Now Zion, the people of God, put on beautiful clothing of a virgin bride who has been made holy, as the church is called the bride of Christ. It goes on, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. In other words, foreign invaders who do not know God will no longer overtake and capture God's people. The believers have victory over Satan and all the demonic forces and have been made holy and are protected. Continuing, this is from Isaiah 52. Therefore, my people shall know my name, and therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, this part is quoted by Paul in Romans in declaring the necessity of someone preaching the gospel for people to be saved. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. 
and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now this glorious transformation of the people of God that was seen in Isaiah is described in the vision of John in Revelation. When an angel said to him, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. From Revelation 21. So Zion is not just a physical place in the city of Jerusalem, in Israel, but it is the city of God filled with people from throughout the whole world. As Paul declared concerning all of us who trust in Christ, who once walked as enemies of the cross of Christ, now our citizenship is in heaven. After mentioning the glorious things spoken of the city of God, the psalmist goes on saying, Among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. Now this seems to be a shocking claim. Rahab is a nickname for Egypt where Israel had been enslaved for 400 years and was one of the superpowers of the ancient world that exalted pagan mythology. Rahab was a mythological monster whose powers had to be subdued as Yahweh had done to the Egyptians with the Exodus. Babylon was a great pagan military power that later came to carry the people of Jerusalem off to slavery and exile for 70 years of punishment for forsaking God and not keeping his Sabbaths. Both nations were fierce enemies of Israel. Philistia were a pagan people living in five city-states in southwestern Levant, Lebanon, along the coast, including what is modern Gaza, who worshipped the fertility god Dagon. Tyre was a great Phoenician city-state along the Mediterranean coast north of Israel in modern southern Lebanon, known for trading to distant places and establishing that North African city of Carthage. There was a great temple to Melkart, god of merchants and navigators. Psalm 83, 1-7, lists Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre as covenanted together to destroy Israel, God's treasured people. Cush, sometimes referred to as Ethiopia, because of the Greek term for them, meaning burnt skin, was a very mighty nation in southern Egypt and present-day Sudan in Africa that at first had an alliance with Egypt and Libya to attack Jerusalem, ruled by evil king Rehoboam, and carried off much wealth, including from the temple in Jerusalem. In the next generation, King Zerah of Ethiopia sent an army of one million to attack good king Asa of Judah, who met him in battle at Marashah, and Asa defeated the Ethiopians. Now all these nations had been enemies of Israel, and God predicted his judgment upon them. As Joel prophesied, 
What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I'll return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. From Joel 3. As Paul states, the lost condition concerning those who are uncircumcised in the past, under the old covenant, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, from Ephesians 2. However, that's not the end of the story for all these nations. Not only in Psalm 87, but in numerous passages, we see God's mercy extended to all the peoples of the world. Concerning God's mercy upon someone from Tyre, we see that King Hiram assisted King Solomon in building the temple in Jerusalem as he indicated his faith in the God of Israel and who made heaven and earth. For King Solomon wrote of the Lord in Psalm 72, 11, May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Also in Phoenicia, we see how the prophet Elijah was sent to a widow in Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. After God miraculously fed her, her son, and Elijah, in a time of drought, Elijah was used to, by God to raise her son from the dead. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Centuries later, we again see God's mercy upon that region of Tyre and Sidon. When a Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus, when he came there for that purpose, he healed her demon-oppressed daughter after seeing her great faith. Moreover, Jesus declared in condemning the unrepentance of Chorazin and Bethsaida, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. In other words, these people were ready to repent and put their faith in the Redeemer. The prophet Isaiah declares God's mercy concerning Egypt in an amazing passage, Isaiah 19. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. And in that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. What an amazing promise. Besides the gospel light in Jesus as a child being called out of Egypt to move to Nazareth. Tradition and history tells us that the gospel is first established in Egypt through, the, through Mark, to which the Coptic church there traces its origin. 
It is in Alexandria, Egypt, where Athanasius served as bishop and became a champion of orthodoxy on the Trinity, the nature of Christ in the canon of Scripture in the 4th century. The early church had a stronghold in Syria, where the New Testament was first translated into another language called Syriac. An oracle came from God through Isaiah concerning a nation beyond the rivers of Cush. Isaiah 18, at that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. Now, this is a prophecy that the Ethiopians and Nubians or modern-day Sudanese would also worship the Lord. This prophecy begins to be fulfilled first when Ebed-Melech, an Ethiopian eunuch serving the king of Judah, rescued Jeremiah from dying in a cistern where he was held prisoner. Now, this um, act demonstrates his faith in the Lord and belief in Jeremiah's message. Then as the early church began to spread, evangelist deacon Philip explained the gospel to the Ethiopian Cushite eunuch who had come to Jerusalem to worship and baptized him upon professing faith. This eunuch is attributed to be the founder of the ancient Ethiopian Coptic church. Prophet Zechariah prophesied, Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Zechariah 8. Ten men represents a complete group. They come from the nations of every tongue. Thus, we see that it was in God's gracious plan for a blessing with knowledge of him and salvation to even those who have been the worst enemies of the people of God. Now they too were included as being the people of God. And this is exemplified in the people of Elam in modern Iran, upon whom God pronounced his judgment, yet said there would be a remnant whom he would bless. And today there is a greater harvest to Christ of up to, some say, three million believers from among former Muslims in Iran. More than at any time in history. Well, for us as believers in Christ, we need to remember that we too were enemies of God in our rebellion and sin. But in love, He brought us near to him to become his adopted children. And so, too, we must forgive our enemies as God has forgiven us. Pauline is the widow of Rami Ayad, who was the director of the Bible Society's only Christian bookstore in Gaza. He was murdered by a Muslim radical who was arrested a few years later. After a few years of bitterness against God, um, Pauline came to forgive her husband's killer. She prayed for a blessing in his life. Her oldest son, George, responded to the question of what he, he thought of the man who had murdered his father. 
He said, I forgive him and I pray that he will go to heaven and meet with my dad. Wouldn't we have a different world if we all had that approach to our enemies? That takes the work of God's spirit. The inclusion of God's people's enemies and the family of God was demonstrated during the time of prophet Elisha when Naaman, the Syrian general afflicted with leprosy, came to him to be cleansed of his dreaded disease through the witness of his servant girl from Israel. After he saw that God cleansed him, after dipping seven times in the Jordan River, Naaman said, For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Jesus referred to the example of the healing of Naaman as a sign of God's love and salvation even for pagan peoples around Israel. The prophecy of Zechariah and Joel too found fulfillment on the day of Pentecost, celebrated today, when people from many tongues and nations were gathered in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. It was the beginning of that great ingathering of the Gentiles with Jews into the household of God. Now, upon cleansing the temple, Jesus said to the Jews, quoting from Isaiah 56, 7, it is, not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations or all peoples? God's intent, even before the new covenant era inaugurated by Jesus, was that people from every people group would be part of his family. God had blessed the nation of Israel that they might bring his blessing to all the peoples of the world. We see that stated in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Now this final phrase refers not to just nations, but to families and individuals. Jesus' final command in Matthew 28, 19, called the Great Commission, was to the disciple in Greek, pantata ethne, in commonly translated as all the nations. However, we often mistakenly think of nations as meaning political nations that would include many ethnicities. But just having a Christian witness within a political nation does not mean you have reached all the people groups within the nation. The use of this phrase in both the Old and New Testaments is usually meaning not individuals, but ethnic or people groups. When God made his promise of blessing to Abraham, he said, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The way this is translated in Acts 3.25, when quoted by Peter in his sermon, it uses a word that specifies a people group, such as a tribe or a clan. Whereas when Paul quotes the promise to Abraham in Galatians 3.8, he uses um, the words that salvation would come through his descendant, Jesus Christ, to all the families. This idea of the gospel going to all the families or clans of the earth is emphasized in Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations 
shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Again, we see in the same in Psalm 96. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. When speaking of families in these passages, it doesn't mean that the It doesn't mean a nuclear family, but to the larger grouping of clan or tribe. Thus, in Revelation 5-9, we see that Christ the Lamb was worshipped in song, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Thus, this concept should be part of our mission strategy in reaching the whole world with the gospel. As Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations or all the ethnicities, and then the end will come. It is an astonishing statement when the psalmist says, this one was born there. That means they had full rights of citizenship. They had been adopted into the family and household of God, obtaining all its rights and privileges. The idea is restated again slightly differently. This one and that one were born in her. And here the psalmist seems to be emphasizing the diversity of peoples included in the covenant family of God from all over the world. As John saw in his vision of the New Jerusalem, this, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. God is still fulfilling this vision for his people, being called from every people group. I made a three-week trip to northern Thailand, where I preached in numerous villages of the Karen people. In one of those villages, we had uh, to cross a small river, uh, driving over some long logs, And after preaching with translation into Karen, there was a woman that came to believe who had just arrived in the village that morning visiting from another remote village in which you could only get there by foot through a trail going through the jungle. And she had never heard the gospel before in her remote, unreached area. Yet God had arranged for her to be there at that time um, that I brought the gospel to her. And on the same trip, I preached at a large conference that had large speakers for thousands present to hear. And a deaf man stood there near the speaker and heard the translated message. He came up to me afterwards to say that he had lost his hearing in an accident. But standing by that big loudspeaker, he could understand. So he, he too came to believe. God uses us to accomplish his purposes to reach those who seem most unlikely to be reached. The psalmist continues to determine who he is, um, who is doing this marvelous work. For the Most High himself will establish her. Salvation is all the work of God of our sovereign God. He planned for it and executed it through the glorious work of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. The psalmist continues, the Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. 
I witnessed how God orchestrated events to bring another one of his called people into his family when my deceased wife and I visited Beijing in 1994. We met up with Dr. Fang, a visiting scholar who had done research in Philadelphia. Although he had studied English in the Bible with us, he did not profess faith. However, he brought along with him on our tour of the Great Wall and the Ming tombs near Beijing a young man studying traditional medicine. He had joined a meeting with a Christian group at his university campus, but still had a lot of questions. So that whole day, we discussed his questions about faith in Christ. And by the end of the day, I, I challenged him to give his life to Christ. He asked his uncle's permission, and then he made a prayer of faith and trusted in Christ. And we saw how God arranged this even before we had planned our trip to China. God's predestinated purpose of saving his chosen people gradually becomes fulfilled as and more and more peoples of the world come to saving faith through hearing the gospel. He records each person by name just as he has every star named. Every one of them is recorded as being born in Zion with all the citizenship rights of the family of God. The prophet Malachi wrote, a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. From Malachi 3. It will be made clear who it is who serves God and one who does not serve him. Paul wrote of his fellow workers, in Philippi, whose names are in the book of life. The promise of Jesus to the church in Sardis, received by John in his revelation, says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. God's people will remain secure at the end times, because when the beast appears uttering blasphemies against God with authority over the peoples, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. Of the lamb who was slain. So we can praise the Lord for this assurance for those who remain faithful. We will not have our name blotted out of God's registry of chosen names. It is only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life who will enter the new Jerusalem. The final verse seems disjointed in thought from the previous verses, but it expresses exuberance in praise for this wonderful work of God of having his chosen people from among all peoples of the world. The psalmist exalts the Lord, saying, Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. The singers and dancers were among those leading the congregation in praise and worship at the temple, perhaps during the Feast of Booths. Singers were likely singing jointly as a choir, perhaps with occasional solo voices interspersed as in black gospel music. 
This is seen with uh, prophetess Miriam leading the singers and dancers after God drowned the Egyptians at the Exodus. Dancers may refer to a procession marching to the music of praise, as in the American gospel song, Oh, when the saints come marching in. And the singers were likely the same as those doing the dancing and marching as they sang. And we see that King David danced with all his might and worship before the Lord as they brought the Ark of the Covenant to the tabernacle in Jerusalem. In addition, in Psalm 49 says, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. And so the context for this worship is in the temple. The psalm continues, Let them, that's the children of Zion, praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. The same theme is found in Psalm 150. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Well, what do we as Reformed believers do with this form of worship? Well, since we're committed to the regulative principle of worship in which each part of our worship has to be directly stated by God's word to be included, um, and we don't want to have strange fire in our worship by which we dishonor the Lord. Uh, well, since there's no further instruction in the new covenant regarding the use of dance and worship by Jesus or the apostles, we don't include dance in our liturgy. But we also don't have mentioned use of musical instruments in the New Testament. Um, so I would find it hard to be judgmental on this point as a matter of conscience, especially as joy and worship is often expressed differently in various cultures. For instance, I found that in West Africa, in all the churches, the worshipers do a small shuffle of feet and sway of their body to the beat of the worship music, a different type of music than traditionally used in Western churches. So even our feet should be used for God's glory as we also are commanded to raise our hands in praise and prayer. The psalmist concludes with the words of praise. They sing, what could the psalmist be referring to in saying those celebrating sing, all my springs are in you. And Jeremiah, the Lord accuses his people of having forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Moreover, the psalmist states, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. One of the three great Jewish festivals was the Feast of Booths, a joyful celebration of the ingathering of crops in commemoration of the Israelites living in tents for 40 years in the wilderness. And during the festival, water was drawn from Siloam and poured upon the temple altar to celebrate God providing water out of the rock in the wilderness at Meribah. When Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Here Jesus is claiming to be the rock out of which flows streams of life-giving water living water, as he anticipated giving us his Holy Spirit, beginning with the day of Pentecost. 
Paul confirmed this in writing the Corinthians, saying of the Israelites in recalling the water that gushed forth when Moses hit the rock. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Zechariah, too, had prophesied of the coming of the Spirit figured as a fountain or spring of water. And I'll pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Also, John indicates this prophecy is fulfilled when Jesus was crucified and pierced in his side with a spear. Zechariah continues, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So this spring of running water is necessary for ritual purification and represents a cleansing from sin by the flowing blood of Jesus on our behalf through repentance and faith. We are made holy. But as we already saw, a spring of living water also represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Thus Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This healing and life-giving flow of water is pictured in John's revelation of what we can expect in heaven. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree for for the healing of the nations. Here pictured are eternal blessings and life. What is amazing is that Jesus' invitation when at the festival to anyone who thirsts is open to all, not to the Jews, only to the Jews, but to the Gentile nations. At the following feast of unleavened bread, when Jesus had come into Jerusalem with a triumphal entry, riding on a donkey, some Greeks were also there to worship at the temple. They came to Philip and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Upon telling Jesus, he responded, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. By this he meant that it was a sign that the time had come for him to accomplish salvation for the world through his death and resurrection. These Greeks were seeking Jesus because by his sovereign grace, he was seeking them. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He he seeks souls from all peoples. And having received the Holy Spirit, we too celebrate with exuberant living, greatly rejoicing in our forgiveness of sins, an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus through his spirit and of assured eternal life with God. The beautiful music of a fountain that leaps and falls and runs reminds us of the joy of our salvation through the spirit. The heavenly congregation, which sings about our unity from among all peoples through Jesus, invites you too. If you hear his voice, He invites you to come drink of that life-giving water from his fountain. Then you too will sing, all my fountains are in you. Will you drink of it now? 
The Lord invites you with these words from the end of Revelation. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who desires, take the water of life without price. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise that you give us in your word and the great hope we have through Jesus Christ of receiving that life-giving water. We thank you that it's for all peoples of the world, including for us. Thank you for calling us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as Pastor Bruce uh, so aptly reminded us uh, in his sermon, the day of Pentecost was a day when the Lord sent his spirit on his people, not only to empower us to be messengers of this new covenant into the world, but he sent his spirit uh, into us in order that we would be uh, made more and more completely members of the body of Christ. The, the work of the Spirit in us uh, identifies sin in our lives and gives us the grace and the desire to repent of it. And so as we approach the Lord's table, it's appropriate for us as 21st century believers to confess our sin. We know that in Christ our sins are forgiven, uh, but it is good for us to confess uh, our sin in order to come uh, with, with broken hearts before the Lord, before we take the Lord's Supper, because we remember that our sin uh, has made a breach between us and the Lord, and the Lord is the only one who can seal that breach. And so let's confess our sin together uh, using uh, this responsive prayer. Uh, we will uh, read this uh, prayer responsively and then I'll give you a few moments to confess your sin silently. When we cry out to the Lord in our trouble, he will deliver us from our distress. God will bring us out of darkness and out of the shadow of death. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May the Father forgive us the death of his Son and strengthen us to live in the power of the Spirit all of our days. Amen. And now, uh, take a few moments to confess your sins silently before the Lord. Amen. Look up and hear these words of assurance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is God's gospel promise, to forgive our sins and give us eternal life by grace alone because of Christ's one sacrifice finished on the cross. Amen. And now I encourage you 
to stand and let's proclaim together uh, our faith using these ancient words uh, written to describe who God is and how good he is to us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We come to communion and we're reminded that this sacrament is not something that is merely a symbol of what Christ has done for us. This is something that is meant to encourage our faith. And uh, one of the things that we heard from Pastor Bruce in his sermon is that one of the functions of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives today is to strengthen our faith to believe that the blood uh, and the, the broken body of Jesus have enduring effects for us today. And so as we take the earthly elements of crackers and, and wine or juice, we remember what the Lord has done for us, yes, but the Holy Spirit also gives us the faith to believe that Jesus really did die, that, that uh, he gave himself up and the most precious sacrifice, the most perfect sacrifice that could have ever have taken place, took place 2,000 years ago in order to redeem us from our sins. And it's through Christ's sacrifice that we have been engrafted into his body. It's through the work of Jesus on the cross that we have been made residents and citizens of Zion. And that's what, uh, that's what the Spirit does. Uh, he strengthens our faith to believe those very things. And so let's approach the Lord's table with joyful spirits, but also uh, realizing that it is only as Christ bids us that we come. And so the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Together we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, Alleluia, the gifts of God for the people of God. Hear these words from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had broken it, he gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you 
to get up when you're ready, to come forward through the center aisle. There will be two people up here uh, to administer the, uh, the, the crackers and the wine or the juice to you. The difference between the wine and the juice is the wine is in the ornamental cup, the juice is in the plain cup. And uh, we, we do ask that only certain people come forward to receive communion. Uh, and these aren't our rules, they're the Lord's rules. Uh, uh, what he says is that you should uh, take this meal um, seriously, and you should only come forward if you are a believer in Christ. And so having faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins is one requirement. Being a member of this or another Bible-believing church is another. And the third is that you not have uh, an ongoing unresolved conflict with another Christian. The, the Bible warns us uh, to seriously uh, take conflicts with other Christians and resolve them before we come forward. But if none of those, uh, if all those things rather apply to you, then we invite you to come forward and receive this reminder that you were forgiven. And may it strengthen you in body and in spirit.
we stand together and sing a last song? Christ alone. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comfort, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. the world by darkness stain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for I am his and he is mine Lord with the this blood of Christ. No guilt, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. He returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus be upon each of you. And now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.